Hello, everyone. Thanks for checking into localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm Tim Muma, and this is I Want to Be A, where each episode we complete that phrase with a new profession or industry, bringing you an experienced professional to give us the inside scoop. This edition, I want to be an optometrist, and we brought on Dr. Jennifer Smythe, the president of the Association of Schools and Colleges of Optometry, as well as the dean of Pacific University's College of Optometry. So plenty of insight into what it takes to get into this career and, of course, succeed in it. Dr. Smythe, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I love to talk about my profession. Good. That's uh, that's exactly what we want to do here and give our listeners an idea of you know, what it's all about, what it takes to succeed, as we mentioned. Uh, I guess, first of all, for yourself, what was it that attracted you to this industry and brought you in? Was it something you always wanted to do? Did something spark that interest? How did it all begin? You know, my story is similar to a lot of the students that I meet. Um, when I was in high school, I needed contact lenses, and I went to my local optometrist and talked to him about what my options were and he was so patient, and it was really obvious that he really enjoyed what he did. And um, not only did he prescribe contact lenses for me, he gave me a job. So I actually worked for my local eye doctor for about four years, all through high school. And then I came back a couple of years after college in the summers and worked for him. So I was really inspired by having the opportunity to actually shadow mm-hmm. another optometrist. So from that point on, I mean, you were just, you were full bore with it into into college. I mean, how did you get into the field exactly? What did that path look like once you realized, hey, this is really something I want to do? You know, first of all, I think I was really lucky because I did figure it out early. Right. And, and, and it's possible for students to get into the prerequisite pathway, even if they come to a decision later. But absolutely, um, a post-baccalaureate degree is required, so all students have to go to college for a minimum of three to four years. There's several paths, but the, the most normal one is students pick a major that also aligns with the prerequisites that they need to take, which is very similar to pre-medicine. It's science-loaded, um, biology, chemistry, organic chemistry, microbiology, and then, you know, there are a lot of humanity-type courses um, that are required as prerequisites. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is that we want to prepare future healthcare professionals that can interact with individuals from, you know, all walks of life. So step one is to absolutely go to college. And um, if, if optometry sparks your interest, the best advice I could give you would be to Talk to a pre-optometry counselor, either at your institution or just get in touch with one of the optometry school admissions offices because they are more than happy to give you guidance and help you direct your schedule to make sure that you have the courses that you need as prerequisites and also as part of your bachelor's degree program. Sure. Now, for those listening, is... The choice of school, is that a big deal? Are there certain areas you would direct individuals and say, you know, this might be something you'd be looking for, or if you if you like this particular aspect of optometry, maybe this is where you go. I mean, do you have any insight as far as schools? No, um, where you do your undergraduate studies isn't that important. It's okay. the, the coursework that you take. Sure. And you know, we have students that come to us who have bi- you know, biology degrees, we have some that come to us who've had music degrees. Um, you know, the bottom line is that what we want is to prepare students 
to be able to be successful in our graduate courses and to be successful when they take their board exams. Okay. And having a good prerequisite, a good strong foundation at the beginning helps helps prepare them for success later on. So, you know, typically you do need to have upper division science courses and those you can't get at a community college or a junior college. But we do have students that come to us who started their their undergraduate career at possibly a community college and started that path and then transferred into a four-year program to complete their, their bachelor's degree and to complete the prerequisites. Okay. Well, yeah, it's good to know that there are different uh, paths even when it comes to education, at least that, that initial part, so people um, don't have to feel like they're stuck, even if they uh, didn't have this idea at first. When we talk about the field itself and before you get into the profession, I mean, what kind of field work, internships, what are you looking at in terms of uh, maybe working to get that hands-on experience and how long that might take, just so people have an idea of what the whole body of work is going to be before you get into the industry? Well, we encourage our students, we actually require this part of the application process, Okay. that students observe for a minimum of 30 hours um, in an optometry practice mm-hmm. or an optometric setting. And personally, I when, when students ask me, you know, where should I observe, what, what would be important, I think it would be most meaningful for them to look at different modes of practice. So maybe spend time in an optometric practice where there's one or two doctors and it's privately owned. Then consider spending a day or two at a VA medical center with an optometric clinic or a hospital setting. Um, there's also retail settings, um, and I think it's important to have a good sense of what's available once you graduate and the type of modes of practice that seem like the right fit for you. Sure. Now, we do... Um, Part of the optometric degree program, we do um, have quite a bit of clinical field work, as you call it. They spend their entire fourth year of optometry school. 75% of Pacific students spend it rotating at four different external sites, which we call preceptorships. Um, it's, it's also referred to as an externship. And those are designed also to give them experience in different modes of practice, different parts of the country different patient populations, and it gives our students a really good sense of, well, what would it be like if I decided to just specialize in geriatric care? Sure. So we would put them in a site that had a lot of service to geriatric populations. Some students are really interested and wanted to provide care for babies and for pediatric populations. So we find sites that tailor to the, the children's vision and the provision. So it's a process. And it starts with the application process, and it goes all the way through then the four years of optometry school. Okay. You know, I was prepared to ask you, and we have this typically of what we, um, when we talk about different professions, of getting an idea of what it's like to have a, a typical day in that profession. And, of course, you brought up already there are several differences, whether you be in a private practice, a, a VA uh, you know, a setting such as you, you mentioned as well, um, in the retail side of things. And then you bring up, you might be working with older individuals. You could be working with babies and children. Is is there any sort of general way you can summarize what a typical day might be like in optometry? Or, I mean, is it really going to depend that much on where you are and who you're working with? That's what I love about my profession is the fact <laughs> that there are so many choices. And I think you know, when people ask me, why optometry? What What is it about 
optometry that you think is unique. And I think you just described it beautifully. It's the fact that you can do something different every day and you do have the ability to tailor your path to your interests. So um, absolutely there's family, family practitioners. And if you were in a practice where family practice was the core, then you know, your day could encompass coming in in the morning, looking at your schedule. You may have 20 patients on your schedule. You spend an hour with someone who is works in an office and is coming in because they're having trouble seeing on their computer. Mm-hmm. Or you may have someone on the schedule who woke up and their eye was really red and they had an eye infection and you're going to make a diagnosis and, and treat that patient's red eye. You may have an older individual who has glaucoma for many years and they're coming in um, for a routine glaucoma check and, and you go through a workup and assess the back of the eye and make sure that the back of the eye continues to be healthy with the treatment regimen that you might have them on. You might have a, a kid come in whose parents say, I got a note from the teacher, they're squinting and they're starting to move up in the front of the classroom because they can't see the board from mm-hmm. the back. And then you have the opportunity to instantly impact a young person's life by prescribing contact lenses or glasses to treat their visual problem. So it, it's everything from you know, routine vision care to managing eye disease and you really do have the ability to seek out a practice setting that fits your aspirations. Sure. When I when I graduated from autonomy school, my my path was um, specialty contact lenses, and I was so fascinated with the idea that you could put this little piece of plastic on the front of the eye and change somebody's life <laughs> mm-hmm. because they were suddenly able to see. And there are a lot of conditions um, where the front of the eye is distorted. And contact lenses are the only correction that allows the patient to see to their best potential. Sure. So I went into a practice where those were the patients I saw. And, and I have so many friends and colleagues that have interests in other areas. Low vision is another example. Um, you know, as the population ages, more diseases are prevalent that impact the ability of someone to see to their maximum potential. And there are low vision devices that can be prescribed, magnifiers and um, special monitors. And there are a ton of apps on iPads and tablets. And we have doctors of optometry that they're, that's what they do. They are so familiar with, with that technology and they help patients use it. Well, that's really cool. I mean, just to be able to utilize the technology aspect, of course, that's always big in any medical field. I was going to ask about, you know, you bring up, iPads and tablets and phones and apps. Is that a big concern in your field as far as how much, you know, people call it screen time that we get? I mean, you're on your computer all day and you have your phone and you're at home with the TV and you have the iPads. I mean, does that really affect people's vision as much as, you know, we we like we tend to hear from individuals or what's your take on all the technology and screens that we're looking at? Oh, it absolutely can affect vision and and that's, um, I, I would say, the, the widespread use of devices that you hold pretty close to your face mm-hmm. um, helps ensure that doctors of optometry are going to be needed <laughs> for a long, long time. I was going to ask because I, I had in a note um, in our show summary that it's expected the, the job outlook for optometry is like 24%, which is uh, well above the average for other occupations. I mean, do you see that as being a big factor is, is the screen time? 
It absolutely is because our eyes have not, you know, we, our eyes are developed to look far away hmm. and to be able to relax our focus. And the whole idea of holding something, you know, at arm's length away and spending a long time looking at little tiny words and little <laughs> tiny numbers, it does put stress on the visual system. And what that manifests as is an inability to relax your eyes when you look out. And things are blurry. I, you know, I have patients come in and say, you know, I'll spend all my day on my computer and it used to be my distance vision was fine. And then when I drive home at night, I'm having trouble seeing. Mm. And that's because it's muscle controlled. And if you spend all day staring at something that's so close and so tiny, your muscles get fatigued and it's hard to relax them when they drive home at night. Right. And there's ways we can we can help that. We can prescribe glasses for the computer. We can develop training exercises that make your eyes stronger, your visual system, the ways your eyes work together. The other reason why the demand for our profession is increasing is that population is aging. Sure. And with an aging population, typically that um, also means that there are more individuals that will have ocular disease that are related to aging. Um, Systemic disease such as diabetes and high blood pressure, that does affect your eyes. And oftentimes the first sign of high blood pressure or diabetes is um, the way the back of the eye looks. When we dilate the eye and look at the retina, we can see changes to those blood vessels. And that goes along with the aging process as well. Yeah, I, as you mentioned, the, the couple ideas there of, of why this is a profession, if you're really interested, um, you're going to have a lot of opportunity moving forward. So I do appreciate you bringing up those reasons um, for, again, what the studies show, that it's, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for people in this industry. One other area I wanted to ask about uh, before we sort of move along with some of the personalities and skills that'll fit is I was always fascinated with working with babies and small children, especially when it comes to something like vision. Can you give us a quick inside look at how that works? I mean, of course, children of a certain age can't really communicate well, and you're trying to figure out what they can and can't see if they need glasses. Um, how does that all work, just out of curiosity? Oh, we can absolutely do an eye exam on a baby. And in fact, we recommend that babies have their first eye exam between the ages of six months and 12 months. There are techniques, there's special cards to, to determine how well the baby can see, and it's all based on um, what we call preferential looking. We watch where their eyes go, and, and that gives an indication of whether or not they can see the image that we put in front of them. There are instruments that we can use where we can objectively get an idea of, you know, what is that baby able to see and how clear is the window that they're looking through. Mm -hmm. And we also pay a lot of attention to how the two eyes move together. So um, we go through exercises where we determine if the eyes are teaming appropriately. And those are, you know, those are some of the conditions that can affect a small child. And you've heard of the term lazy eye. I'm right. Sure. Those are the things we can rule out. And um, there's actually a national program called Infant C. It's a um, public health program to promote the awareness that not only do babies need to have an eye exam, but there are many doctors of optometry that will provide a comprehensive eye exam on a baby for free because we think it's that important and we want to get them evaluated as soon as possible. So it prevents problems later on when they go into school, right. correct the vision problem so that they're set up for success when they start kindergarten, first grade. 
Great. That's awesome to hear. Just that uh, that is available to individuals out there and start early and you hopefully have less troubles moving forward. I want to get into the idea of what skills, what personality type really fits well in this industry, um, especially as you mentioned, you're dealing with a number of different ages of people, personalities, of course. Uh, what are you looking at if you're looking to hire somebody, say, what are you really focusing on in terms of skills and what do you need personality-wise if they're going to succeed? This is the type of profession where you spend a lot of time listening and you spend a lot of time thinking about the next appropriate question to determine you know, what a diagnosis is or what a treatment plan is. And I believe that our profession is very patient-centered. And to be patient-centered, you need to have the skills and the communication ability to be comfortable to, to ask hard questions or to talk to people. So when we do interviews for optometry school, you know, one of the things we're looking at is how comfortable are they interacting with someone they don't know? Mm -hmm. Because that, that communication factor is so important. And I think it's one of the, the reasons why we stand out as a profession. We, we don't rely a lot on what a technician does. We, we do a lot of the exam ourselves. And a big part of that is listening and hearing how someone responds to a question and knowing the follow-up question. And because so many, so many new doctors of optometry want to go into small communities and, you know, practice in small kind of rural settings, they're going to need to know everybody in their town and everybody in town is going to know that's, your, you know, that's the eye doctor here. So personality really is important. Um, it's not the type of profession where you can go in an office and hide. You need communication skills. Writing skills are important as well because of, there's a lot of report writing, communicating with other healthcare professionals, communicating with schools um, about kids and, and vision. So we look for that as well. We look for people who are comfortable writing and have good grammatic, grammar, you know, grammar skills. <laughs> but at the same time, we, we look for students who have, you know, academic ability and the ability to understand, you know, science concepts, math, chemistry, that kind of thing. Okay. Is there anything in the profession that you don't like, something you'd like to see changed, anything, uh, anything there that you, know, you could offer up? And, you know, because you're on the inside, you've, you've you know, seen a lot of things, experienced a lot of stuff. Um, anything you don't like or you'd like to change? I think we're the best kept secret. And I, I don't like the fact that the general public doesn't necessarily know what an optometrist is and what optometry do. So I think you're going a long way with a program like this to help us spread the word. Um, there's a lot of confusion about what's the difference between an optician, an optometrist, and an ophthalmologist. And, you know, if I, if I could change one thing, you know, the world would understand how broad of a role we have as a doctor of optometry in, in providing health care. Mm -hmm. So if I gave you the floor right now to quickly differentiate between those three areas you just mentioned, to help clear it up if anybody still is unsure, how would you do that? How would you define optometry versus the other areas you mentioned? We are the primary eye health care provider. So our role is to assess vision and assess eye health, and we prescribe aids to improve an individual's life and their ability to function in life. 
And at the same time, we do treat eye disease. We do prescribe medications. Ophthalmology is more of a um, specialty-centered profession, and the ophthalmologist tends to be the surgeon. And we are more of the the primary eye care providers. I think you're right. I think there probably is confusion on that, and people lump everything together. So I think that is a a good way to to sort of differentiate, again, what, what you do compared to those other areas. If we go back into the idea of getting a job in this industry, because it is a large focus, of course, of what we're doing with these shows, are there any tips, any inside information from your experience that you would give those job seekers in terms of finding the right position for them or interviewing? Are there assessments that go into um, the interview process where you're trying to get a job? I mean, is there anything that stands out to you that you think, you know, they need to know this and they might not know that it's coming? What would you offer up? I would recommend any optometry student take those four years to network, attend professional meetings, get to know if if there's a part of the the country that you want to practice in, you want to get to know the local optometrist because they can help you find a position. Talk to the manufacturers and the local sales reps. They know who's hiring. Make sure that you spend time with service activities while in optometry school. Um, a lot of students go on mission trips. It doesn't hurt to consider doing a postgraduate residency, which is a one-year intensive clinical experience, and it's not required to be licensed mm-hmm. to have a residency. They, they've already, already graduated. They're already a doctor of optometry, but a residency opens up doors, um, especially for individuals that are interested in working in more medical settings or co-management settings, um, or if they're interested in teaching. You know, my, my career path became academic optometry, and I became an optometric educator. And having completed a residency is, is one of the reasons why I was a qualified applicant. And the faculty at all of the schools and colleges want to help our students network. Mm-hmm. Um, we have classmates that are across the country that you know, we can call and, and really the student needs to be the advocate for themselves and take advantage of any networking opportunity that comes their way. I think that's a great piece of advice, something that definitely goes across the board, not just in this industry, but across all the professions as well. So I do appreciate that aspect of it that you brought up for our listeners Another area that we have to ask about, and our listeners are always curious, especially if you talk about the schooling that goes into it and maybe some of the challenges, is what would they be looking at in terms of compensation? Understanding it's going to vary depending on what exactly they're doing, where they're working. Can you put us into a ballpark of the compensation for optometry? I would say the average new graduate in the first five years of practice, their compensation is probably around $120,000 a year. Okay. There are major exceptions. It does make a difference which part of the country you practice in. If you go into practice as an associate or if you decide to get a loan from a bank and start your own practice. So obviously there's going to be very variables that would influence that. Sure. But that's what, you know, that's what the data shows. Okay, great. In the first five years. Now it only, it, it does increase. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, people do, you know, they enter healthcare professions because they know that healthcare is a very steady market and that there's always going to be a demand for the services. So I think individuals have the ability to be employable anywhere they want to go. They just need to be um, proactive. 
Well, again, I understand it's, it can be a, a difficult question to really you know, answer thoroughly, but I think you did a good job there of giving us an idea of what you'd be looking at getting into this profession. We are getting low on time, but I did want to give you the floor, as you do with all of our guests here, to uh, sort of wrap up what our conversation has been about and what you really want to leave our listeners with in terms of optometry, what it takes to get in, what it takes to succeed. So what would you offer up there um, to finish out any last pieces of advice or anything you would want the listeners to take away from this conversation? I think if you want to enter a profession where you have the ability to do something different every day, the ability to impact somebody's life in a positive way almost immediately, then it's absolutely a profession for you. I think I've been very lucky because I have had the opportunity and partly because I've taken initiative to look at different modes of practice and, and look at how people take their their optometric degree and, and follow a career path that fits with their goals. I definitely think it's it's a type of profession that you get what you put into it. And um, it's a profession where once you become a doctor of optometry, you really, it's a close-knit profession, so you really do become part of something bigger, um, very much like a family. I think if you're interested, the earlier the earlier you network and connect with a admissions counselor at one of the optometry schools, the better, because it'll, it'll help you plan your college career path and help you with um, the admissions process so that you feel like you're ready right, right away and you don't waste time taking classes that you might not need. Um, but at the same time, if you're coming to this as a late decision and you already have a, a degree in music or, or um, education or something that isn't in the biological sciences, it's not too late. You can absolutely be a, a strong optometry school candidate by um, just pursuing the prerequisite courses that you haven't taken. Well, that's terrific to hear that there are a lot of those opportunities, uh, as you mentioned, different paths for different individuals. And as we talked about a little earlier, um, plenty of job opportunity in the future as well as uh, there will be a need for it, an increasing need for a couple of the reasons that you brought to us today. Uh, With that, we are going to bring this episode to a close of I Want to Be an Optometrist. We have been talking with Dr. Jennifer Smythe, the president of the Association of Schools and Colleges of Optometry, as well as the dean of Pacific University's College of Optometry. Thanks again. We do appreciate you sharing your knowledge and experience with all of our listeners today. My pleasure. Thank you. Of course, if you have any comments or questions regarding any of our podcasts here on LJN Radio, just shoot us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.